The Guardian. I'm John Plunkett, and coming up on this week's Media Talk... There are rockets, tank shells, anti-aircraft being fired in a parallel line into the city. The Syrian army is simply shelling the city of cold, starving civilians. We pay tribute to Marie Colvin, the veteran war correspondent killed this week in Syria. Plus, we look ahead to the first edition of The Sun on Sunday and wonder what it'll do to the weekend tabloid market. Also in the podcast, it's troubles all round at Private Eye after the satirical magazine reports its best circulation figures for 25 years. And we'll find out exactly why it was that Jazz FM's airways turned blue. Nice. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. And joining me in the studio this week is the media journalist Maggie Brown and the writer, broadcaster and Sony award-winning podcaster, you can't say that enough, surely, <laughs> Mr. Ollie Mann. Thank you very much. Yes, yeah, good to have the triple billing. Nice to see you. And good to see you, Maggie. It's been too long. I hope you're well. I'm very well, thank you. I'm nice and sort of warm and sunny day. Excellent. Warm inside and out. Well, hmm. <laughs> Let's not go too far. Well, we have newspaper, radio and television news to discuss later on. But we must start this week with the tragic death of Sunday Times war correspondent Marie Colvin, who was killed whilst reporting from Syria. Colvin died along with French photographer Remy Ochlik when the building they were staying in, it was supposed to be a safe house, came under artillery fire. She was regarded as one of the greatest foreign correspondents of her generation, and tributes have been paid to her from around the media world. Maggie, this is a, a horrific reminder of the perils of uh, reporting from the front line. It certainly is. And uh, I was at the Royal Television Society Awards last night, and I can tell you there was a sort of uh, a terrible sort of pal, really, over the whole of the room. Uh, first of all, anyway, we began with this long scroll of journalists and cameramen who had been killed over the past year. And it made for a pretty horrific hors d'oeuvre, if you like, for this uh, meal. Uh, And one of the interesting things about it, though, was when you actually watched it, is that most of the journalists and cameramen killed have actually not been uh, high-profile names like Marie. A lot of them have been the the freelancers and the local journalists that the the big names have been hiring. But no, I, I was very moved because, well, two things, actually. I, I was speaking to her best friend, Jane Bonham Carter, and she'd had a um, text from Marie only a few days ago, and she was at that point in Beirut, and she was saying that she was going in. And um, Jane said to me, I thought it was actually rather brave that she came, she said, uh, I just thought, oh, no, please don't go. And, he, and she said, you know, this was a woman who was really too brave, and um, she just had to go and bear witness. She was a true journalist in every sense of the word. And, um, I mean, I think the general sense was that um, she loved life. Uh, she was not looking for any kind of journalistic martyrdom. <laughs> Uh, but she was absolutely desperate to uh, bear witness and tell the truth, which is, which is, of course, what she said in her um, address at St Bride's um, two years ago. There's, if I may just add, there, there was another undertone in this. I was one of the judges um, on the cate- one of the categories of the Journalism Awards, and uh, it was Scoop of the Year. And there was definitely a debate, not just in my group, but I think across the whole of the industry, about, for example... Um, Alex Crawford's, um, you know, triumphant reporting from uh, Tripoli as she went in, as it it fell, finally. And one of the things that was sort of being sort of talked about was how far should you actually push things or expect your own correspondents to put their lives at risk in order to report the bigger story. 
And um, that, and who that decides? Is, is, it the, is it the journalist or well, is it their commissioning editor? Or, and, and how much can the people exactly. back in, in London control what well, they're reporting? Well, I, I did speak to one very senior person who uh, I, I can't really name, but who told me that um, at one point during the whole of the um, situation in Serbia and Bosnia and the you know the the, the, the war that happened in the ni- wars that happened in the nineties that uh, there had been a point when he had pushed his own crew. Uh, because uh, the rival news gatherer had had a, a terrific scoop uh, in order to sort of come back with something really good. And one of the people involved had been injured, not not seriously, but, you know, it had been a real wake-up call. So um, I, I think this is a, a – I just think it's a terribly tragic moment. And it also reminds us, doesn't it, what proper journalists are about – you know, they go and they report. And that's one of the things which I, I, I've learnt so much because I actually studied under Sir Tom Hopkinson, the, the former editor of Picture Post. I'm one of the few journalists who linked back to that. And his whole point was that journalists, you're not there really to blog and do all these things. You're there because the public can't be there very often in situations. And you're trying to tell them what is going on in the most objective and honest manner you can. And that's what Marie Colvin did. Yeah, um, Ollie, I think it was uh, Channel 4's Lindsay Holsom said that um, every war reporter has a, a danger threshold, but that uh, Colvin's was, was different to most. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not just a case about representing uh, to the public where they can't be, it's where they wouldn't want to be, isn't it? And I was reading a very kind of gung-ho article in Esquire last month, which was a, a war reporter, I forget who it was now, sort of saying, well, a lot of people who go and base themselves in military bases, you know, I've seen journalists have a have a uh, stomp their feet because they can't get their own private helicopter or their own hot shower. And actually, you know, there are, there are secure hotels where all the journalists are, and they're not really going out and doing their own thing. And she obviously really was. I mean, she was obviously putting herself in danger and putting herself in, in harm's way to get the story. And uh, I mean, those are the better war reporters, aren't they? It's really difficult because they're putting themselves literally in the line of fire. But that is how you get the best eyewitness accounts, not by yeah. sticking around with the military and being shown do about. You, well, that was very clear from, I mean, just, just going to say, Maggie, her, her last report for ITN, um, I'm sure you heard it when she was, um, she was saying about how the houses on the street she was staying in had been hit. And in fact, and she said it in such an extraordinary sort of matter of fact way. She said, well, in fact, my building's been hit and, and it sounded like the roof had been blown the off. The top but, floor uh, had been yeah. blown out, yes. In fact, I was speaking to somebody who who had had a conversation with uh, the person on the foreign desk who'd spoken to her that morning. And um, I think that at the Sunday Times, they were trying to say, please, could you not do quite so much, CNN and, and BBC, uh, 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 commenting, because it's going to make you even more of a target. But of course, by then, uh, it, it was you know far too late. The other thing that surprised me, watching her... Perform. She seemed to have uh, nerves of steel. Uh, I was watching her last um, report, and you would not know that she was in this absolute killing zone. I mean, this is very brave stuff. The only thing I would say is that um, I, 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 there are other reporters like Nick Tomlin who have been killed in different wars. What is going on at the moment is, is that... When you were a Reuters correspondent, for example, you were always taught never to go beyond your last means of communication because you were useless. If there was no phone, I mean, we're talking about the 60s or the 70s, or I mean, maybe you use a pigeon in, in the 19th century, but you couldn't get your reports out. You were of no use to the organisation. Now, with electronic and uh, satellite and Wi-Fi, that is, 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 you can be in a, absolutely in the war zone but still get your story out. And that has kind of, if you like, up the... the, the 
the kind of the risk, if you like. And the other thing, she didn't have any children. And if you remember Janine uh, Di Giovanni, the other uh, quite high-profile uh, war reporter, certainly in, uh, until about five or six years ago, she did stop reporting uh, from these zones because she had children. And um, there are different levels, as um, Ollie's saying, of kind of what your, what your threshold is. And I would say having children may well be one of them. And it was all the more tragic because she was due to leave the, the next day. Well, we've linked to a speech that Colvin gave on the importance of war reporting. Head over to the blog at guardian.co.uk slash mediatalk. On now to our friends at News International. As we discussed in last week's show, Rupert Murdoch flew into Wapping to quell the disharmony at the Sun, which had been in something of a state of turmoil since the arrest and suspension of a number of senior journalists in connection with the alleged illegal payments to police. Well, the Dirty Digger certainly came out fighting, announcing a new Sunday edition of The Sun will be hitting the presses soon. Very soon, in fact, as the first edition will be rolling out this weekend. So, seven months on from the closure of the News of the World, Murdoch and News International once again has a Sunday red top. Maggie, what can we make of The Sun on Sunday, or just plain old Sun, as it's going to be called? Well, I mean... It's happening. I, I, I don't think I feel particularly excited about it. Um, I, I shall certainly pick it up. I suspect it will have a really low cover price. Um, I'm seeing the adverts. 50p. 50p, yes. Adverts um, everywhere in, 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 on television. Every time I get on, get on the trains on the concourse, yes, I, I see um, adverts for it and the countdown. Uh, the price is very low compared with the £1 that the rivals are uh, charging. I also think there's been a complete lack of marketing of the rivals over the over, since July. I'm just amazed that there hasn't been a sort of more relish and more attack from the Mirror and uh, just the sense, or even the Mail, you know, that they would actually fill this gap. Because as far as I can well, see, well, they have it, to a certain extent. Yes, but if you if you actually look at the newspaper readership figures, not so much the sales, it seems that there's about four million people who used to read a Sunday paper, i.e., the News of the World, and they're just not reading anything at all. So there was, even if those, the market is, as we know shrinking dramatically there's still a lot of people out there who could have been fought over and wooed and loved and that hasn't happened so from that point of view I'm, I'm uh, whatever we think about Rupert Murdoch I'm quite glad that somebody with a passion for popular papers has come in and said well I'm going to fill the gap I think it's going to be hard though because people get out of the habit of buying papers I used to have the news of the world delivered at home uh, that's all gone there's a sort of passive factor about a lot of newspaper purchasing and once you break it so it's very hard to reintroduce well I'm not saying I'm just saying it's uh, it, you know it was once part of a kind of my life well, it's a habit. I, I, well I stopped it actually about a year ago because it, I just thought it became too sleazy but, but that, that's posi- exactly the position I'm in I used to oh. buy the news the world and the Sunday Times or the Observer that was my Sunday time sort of you know palate cleanser my Sunday that was my Sunday palate cleanser was the news the world and I like the filth and I like the sleaze but I also like the fact that actually there was quite a lot of quality journalism in there as and well sport. you know well, good sport good sport, showbiz yeah. good columnists yeah. and you know you could turn to page two of the news of the world and it would have in layman's terms basically the tabloid week in westminster that was coming over the next seven days and you could understand what the big stories were going to be as well as uh you know the sleaze about everyone's sex life which let's be honest everyone enjoys knowing about even if they don't condone the methodology behind getting the story well that, uh, i mean the sun might well have a lot of that but you know they've only had a week to get it together so it's not well, going to be I easy i don't believe that i don't believe they've only had a week i think this is you can't just bring out these adverts or bring out these banners and all the rest of it. This has been planned and it's been a campaign. Uh, the main 
didn't, they, perhaps they didn't know exactly when the button was going to be pushed. But I think this was, I, I'm not saying that it was all planned from July, but I, I think that this has been clearly um, on the stocks for a bit. And they didn't kill off Fabulous magazine, did they? they can, that's been kept going. They've kept it's Saturday, the people, now it's going to go back to exactly, Sunday. Yeah. Go back, well, what happens to the sun on Saturday? Yeah. You know, this is all kind of, uh, you know, in the mix. But I, I, mean, if, if, I think if you're a journalist on the paper, Ollie, you know, you must be delighted that Murdoch's given you this backing for a seventh day paper. But yes. also, you know, slightly concerned. You know, oh, great. Oh, hang on. Who's going to write it? Oh, oh it's me. You know, so, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, they're under, a, they're under the cosh. They're under a lot more stress. And also, I mean, yes, there was a, people were calling it in quite a hyperbolic way a civil war at News International, weren't they? But, you know, there clearly was a lot of discontent about the fact that people were being arrested, well-respected figures from the paper. But that doesn't mean it's the right decision to do this. I mean, I do think with the Leveson inquiry still going on, this just looks really bad. Um, I think the Sun on Sunday could have launched at any point in the next year and a half, and they'd always claw back. Maybe not everyone, like Maggie was saying, not her, not me, that used to read the news of the world, but a lot of the people that buy the Sun would obviously be very happy to buy the Sunday Sun. And let's be honest, the Mirror, the Star, the Express, and the people are all rubbish on a Sunday. They can't compete not, with what the Sun can do. They're sophisticated. They're just not very not good. I mean, the Mail on Sunday, that's quite a good product, isn't product, it? But I mean, yeah. Daily Star Sunday, it, they're going to lose half their readers to this, aren't they? I, I, so I think I they could have launched at any point. Why do it now? Just to pacify people inside the building but, it seems like I mean, a bad the, decision to me but the whole approach to Leveson uh, which is uh, I mean the attitudes are hardening I mean the press is feeling um, I, I think a bit more it's got its dander up it's sort of having feeling a, not, a, not necessarily a sense of confidence but um, a sense that Leveson can be to some extent not battered away but can be cut down to size so uh, it is it is a quite defiant gesture but I, I don't particularly mind it for that uh, yeah, well, I think you know Murdoch's not been on the front for for, for a very long time, and this is this is you know uh, heck, it's a positive news story. It is a positive news story. It may not long term be positive for him because clearly uh, it may not be profitable. We just don't know what his position is longer term at, at the wider news corporation. But in that regard, it helps that it's being run as a seven days a week operation. And well, of course, you, it's much cheaper. And the the only problem there is, to be absolutely honest, that the change of pace needed um, to do a Sunday paper. Uh, does require a different mindset and it is actually quite hard to replicate when you've got the same basic editorial brain doing a seven-day week operation. So we'll just have to see. But but I, I'm going to look at it with interest on Sunday. And also Murdoch launching any new title, genuinely new title, he'd probably, for his own pride, have to put it behind a paywall online because that's the way that he's moving his whole company. But basically that's a strategy that isn't really working. Uh, so I think this works quite well from an online perspective as well. The Sun's website is hugely popular. The news of the world wasn't once it went behind the paywall. You know, now they can get online visitors on a Sunday as well. Yeah, Sunday only website. It, d- it doesn't really work, does it? As it a doesn't work. Whereas this isn't uh, going back on their policy because it's an old title that hasn't gone behind the paywall yet. Yes, uh, Maggie, just, a, just an addendum to that. And all this comes as it's revealed that Sherry Blair is to sue News International and private investigator Glenn Mulcair over the alleged hacking of her phone by News of the World. So it feels like this is almost sort of a second tranche of her. It certainly cases. does. And in, in some ways, uh, a more determined and wily um, opposition to some, and, and of course a lawyer to boot uh, than some of the showbiz. Um, characters who have complained bitterly but do seem to be prepared to take the money and run and levison is back next week of course Indeed. okay we'll leave that there you can read more about all things murdoch and analysis of the very first sunday edition of the sun on mediaguardian.co.uk 
On to the ABCs now. It's the magazine ABCs, a, t- a twice yearly treat. And um, Ollie, good news at Private Eye, which uh, reported its highest circulation figure for 25 years, a, yeah. a quarter of a million readers. Yes, pretty good going for them. I don't know if it's a massive surprise in the sense that this is a trend across all current affairs, so it's not necessarily a big boost for satire per se. Uh, it's just that you know, in these times, people do want analysis and understanding. And let's be honest, a lot of the stories that Private Eye put out there first, you know, to do with press ethics and bankers' bonuses and everything else, sort of came home to roost this year, didn't they? So, I mean, inevitably, uh, I think it's given them some credibility, plus, of course, all the publicity they had around their anniversary and all the celebrations around that. Uh, But, yeah, well done them. I mean, it's nice to see anyone buying... A paper product in greater numbers than they were before. That it's bucks the trend. It's that they don't anyway. give anything away on the web either, which I, I find quite uh, fascinating. And yeah, it's sort of cheap to produce. I mean, when you think about the paper, I mean, you could, it really hasn't changed in my lifetime. No, me too. <laughs> and Hislop's on a roll, and he's been in the job for a long time, Maggie. Yeah, and Hislop is, in, is on a roll. I mean, he's a very good ambassador. I mean, he was one of the people who um, I thought came out very well at Leveson. I mean, he appears very sort of avuncular and kind of poised, but um, he's absolutely gung-ho behind press freedom. Um, um, he's, he's, he's a very interesting figure. I also think that uh, a lot of magazines, which is, it's never really reported, but when you look at the circulations, and some of them are very robust, the Economist, but, but basically it's, it's, it's coasting, they do have amazing promotions, and they do, although they have a cover price, they also have a very uh, low subscription uh, and postal rates, which may sort of slightly disguise the fact that um, I suspect a lot of people are balking at playing the full cover price. Well, no, someone who's uh, no stranger to marketing tactics is, uh, is Richard Desmond, who I think kind of bags up various titles with other, with other magazines. But uh, in the women's sector, Desmond's OK magazine was down almost 20%, which was the biggest decline in the sector. Maggie, why have you stopped buying OK? Because <laughs> <laughs> I read it when I go to the hairdressers. <laughs> I catch up on lots and lots of things. Well, I suppose that um, it's a sector where... Uh, I suspect a lot of women are quite pressed at the moment. I mean, I'm not sure they're uh, necessarily going to buy uh, as many magazines as they used to in in that particular groove. Um, I I haven't read it recently, so I can't really opine as to whether celebrities are, you know, A-list or B-list. But um, I suspect they're not what they used to be. Well, it's hard to think of celebrity figures that are as big as they used to be. I mean, we had Cheryl Cole recently. But apart from that, you know, the the kind of golden age for OK was, you know, Katie and uh, Peter and uh, Jade Goody. And actually, I'm not sure that, especially since the royal wedding as well, which in OK terms is the biggest event ever. um, I'm not really sure there's been anything since then that would interest the readers enough. I mean, it's all people from The Only Way is Essex, which... Well, there's a yeah, of celebrity, isn't there, really? There's hmm. just too many of them. And they're all over the web as well. Yeah. That's the other thing about Private Eye. I mean, there's mm. n- most of the blogs that would be doing that kind of content are funded by big corporations that are based in America that aren't going to publish that kind of content. So there's nothing like Private Eye online with those resources. Whereas... OK Magazine, I mean, that's all over... That's Twitter, isn't it, basically? But also Private Eye has humour. I mean, we forget the importance of jokes and, and satire and, and just being rude about people, too. And mm-hmm. I mean, it has a debunking aspect, which is as old as time. And I think that that's its special appeal as well. I think one can get a little bit too uh, hung up on the sort of the dirty digging aspect of it, which is, is very important. But it does make you laugh. It's a magazine you never come away from thinking yeah. you haven't had a bit of a snigger. You're right, and yeah. I should point out before people get angry at me in the comments i know there's the onion but that's not really a uk thing there's not really a uk version of that and maggie it's all very well but i mean private eye is never going to show you around the, the home of amy Childs, is it so, you know, so. anyway 
Talking of Amy Childs, a nice link there. She may well appear in a couple of lads mags. And um, Ollie, the women's sector's got it easy compared to the men's sector, where Nuts, Zoo and FHM were all down year on year. And loaded sale fell through the floor again. Whatever happened to the lads mag? Is it ever going to come back? Has it gone for good? I think, actually, it, I don't see any reason why it can't come back with a new title, but I do think those titles all feel very much of the age they were launched. Loaded felt old five years ago because it was a 90s title, and Nuts and Zoo came along, and now Nuts and Zoo came, you know, feel quite old as well. They feel like a turn-of-the-century title. I mean, these are not sophisticated magazines, uh, but there are different ways of presenting guns and boobs, and, you know, once you've done them and you've established your way of doing it, you sort of need someone to come along and revive it again. And again, I wonder if maybe it's to do with having... Their figures, their celebrities, you know, I, I'm not sure there's a, a kind of a zoo cover star at the moment uh, that would be uh, incentivizing 14-year-old boys to rush out there and buy it. I think we need a new magazine, a new batch of people doing it. Called Guns and Boobs. Maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, I'm going to copyright that. Maggie, but it's, quite, it's kind of, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's quite uh, reassuring in a way that the success stories in the men's sector now are magazines like Men's Health and, uh, and men's GQ Health and indeed. Esquire yes. a little bit bouncing back. Well, I'm, well yes, indeed, Esquire is. Uh, well, and, and I think also we, we're leaving out of this all of the sort of the interest magazines. I'm not just, uh, I mean, not just styling. I'm talking about the kind of the computer, the gadgets. The, there's a whole list of, uh, of other titles which cater to men in, in, in sort of niche interests. And the other thing I think that you um, actually have to factor in is it's what Ollie said, really, that um, it's not clear how many of them are downloadable but i mean men are early adopters of um, both ipads and um, kindles and all the rest of it and they're great commuters and um, i think i think, that's I think there's a real weakness in in that uh, you know in the audit process there's a lot of specialist content if you're interested in any of those one areas so like if well it's Ollie, sorry films. i've got to interrupt you there now sorry because we're <clears throat> we're running out of time Sorry, a producer in my ear telling me. Uh, there's only one story in town this week, which was uh, the Brits and ITV's I'm unfortunate decision. Up at you now. Yeah, thank you yeah. very much. Uh, ITV's unfortunate decision to, to cut short Adele's acceptance speech uh, to leave room for a not entirely inspiring medley of hits by Blur. So that explains why I interrupted Ollie. Uh, anyway, um, well, let's go back to Ollie. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. Um, wh- where does this rank on the scale of Brit disasters from, from one to ten, if ten is, uh, you know, Sam Fox and Mick Fleetwood? God, it's just like having James Corden in the room, isn't it, Maggie? Um, <laughs> uh, this he is, doesn't bounce around as much. <laughs> this is not. This is nothing. This I watched the whole uh, the whole do waiting for the event to happen. You know, the event that we'd all be talking about. There's always one, and at the end, I saw this, and I knew this would be it. But although Adele is the woman of the moment, and this was clearly very embarrassing for James Corden, it was just completely understandable. I mean, this is the this is the lingua franca of live TV, isn't it? You see it all the time. Things have to wrap up for time. It was kind of embarrassing. We all know why it happens because. Damon Alban went on and on and on in his boring speech, wandering around the station, not knowing what he was saying. No one had the balls to say to him, can you wind it up, please? And then, unfortunately, someone had to make a decision to get to the ads in time. But, I mean, I don't know. It's uh-huh. perfectly perfectly understandable, isn't Maggie, it? Maggie, now, I'm not going to disagree with Ollie purely because I put this in the programme as an item, but I do disagree. I think it was a massive gaffe by ITV, a real egg-on-face moment. What, you mean, like, cutting away from the final goal? And all yeah, a little so? bit, yeah. yeah. Well, the problem is, it's, as Ollie says, it is live TV. And if they don't do it live, it's not live. Uh, we've seen all of these... Um, examples where if they they do sort of other award ceremonies as if live there are complaints 
uh, th- what they need a much tougher floor manager, don't they? They need somebody who's really, really uh, maybe a team of bosses out there. Well, they were quite tough, but they just were tough, tough at the wrong moment. Yes, they were tough at the wrong moment. But you would have thought, oh dear, poor old ITV, uh, that they would have just built in a bit more, you might say, wriggle room. You know, maybe, I don't know how you do it, but just to have a bit of a get-out clause at well, the I, end. Well, my understanding is that Blur played five songs. We only heard three of them. So yeah. I think that was the wiggle room right there. I think they'd maxed it out. They cut two of their songs. So yeah, I, mean, they I don't think they had any ITV choice. Too, yeah, so I mean, they had to do. They had to end the show. My question for you, Maggie, is: What would Simon Cowell have done if he'd been executive producing the show? <laughs> he would have delayed the ads. He, he would have, have let Adele carry on he and would on. Have with, I'm I mean, sure she's just won six Grammys. She's exactly. won two Brits. Yeah. She's just been saying how great it is to yeah. be British. She's and, every, yes, she's and, and it was you know, the moment yeah. everyone wanted to see. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, I, but I, we have to remember, ITV is funded by the ads. You know, yeah. and, uh, true. But they could have stuck news at ten back to news at five past ten. Well, difficult, really. But but it does look very inflexible. I mean, this is the problem with live broadcasting. Well, I've got to mention the postscript, uh, which I'm sure you're both aware of. Big One Direction fans, I know. You you may have seen they they thanked Radio 1 when they should really have thanked Capital FM, uh, who held this particular vote for the best British single. It's nice to know everybody cocks up sometimes. And then then the next day, Capital dropped an appearance by One Direction and then pretty much kicked them off the playlist. Uh, So, you know, revenge is a bish. bish. Revenge (laughs) is a dish best served swiftly, uh, it would appear. I can't imagine Capital will go more than about three days without playing One Direction. Bearing in mind it was their listener that voted them the winners. Indeed, uh, who you needs know. whom? Yeah, let, exactly. let us know in the comments below. Yeah. Right, Ollie, still with you. I'm going to talk Facebook briefly. Um, now, it says here, nipples are a no-no, but crushed limbs are okay. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Facebook have updated their guidelines as to what is acceptable and what is not. This isn't the thing about lads mags here. This, uh, no, sorry, carry on. <laughs> um, so you are now allowed bodily fluids on really? Facebook. Yes, except uh, semen, uh, so long as no human being is captured in the same photograph as the fluid. Right, okay. So mind boggles as to exactly what that picture is. Blood tests, I guess. Don't know. Yeah. Um, They're a lot less fun than they could be. <laughs> breast milk. Well, breast milk, yes, uh, but breastfeeding, no. no. Uh, this is, uh, I mean, this story comes up every no, kind I'm of few months. I'm talking about the nipples. I mean, you see, if you see what I mean, you could have them. Maggie, a phrase I never thought I'd hear you say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, no, you're, you're right. You, you put your mouth on it because um, this is the thing that oh comes goodness. up all the time is, is, is breastfeeding on Facebook. Mm. I, I mean, they're an international company. There, there are places in the world where if you logged onto Facebook and your friend had put up a picture of them breastfeeding their baby, then by looking at a photo of their nipple, you'd actually be breaking the law. So it is difficult for Facebook to regulate that. They have hundreds of millions of users, uh, and it's a bit of a minefield. But I suppose a lot of people are saying, well... Facebook's a liberal company. They're based in California. They should be trying to change the way the world behaves around these issues, you know, by not saying, no, you can't show breastfeeding. Uh, because, you know, the argument they use for why they can't is they lump it together with uh, sort of nudity that would cause arousal, basically. And, you know, I mean, who gets aroused by looking at breastfeeding? Now then, Maggie, you may want to avert your ears for this one, but let's have a quick listen to some late night jazz. Or should that be blues? <laughs> Yes, that's the, and I quote, unauthorised activity and inappropriate behaviour in the control room that meant the soundtrack of a gay porn film was inadvertently broadcast over the funky sensation show on Jazz FM. I assume the sound engineer was listening to media talk whilst he was broadcasting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it has been known to have that response. Uh, Back in the days of Matt Wells, of course. Did listeners uh, get cross? 
Uh, there was a few uh, tweets about it, yes. Um, and it turns out that the, uh, the presenter, Mike Vitti, wasn't able to do much about it because at the time it was going out, I think he was having dinner with his wife because it was a pre-recorded show. So, Ollie, that's, that's the perils of a pre-recorded... Uh, the perils of the magic of radio, I think. Indeed. And, I mean, presumably this was one of his juniors that did this because he's not just the presenter of the show. He's also, unfortunately for them, the head of programming for the station. He is indeed. He is indeed. <laughs> so that was a bad choice. If you're going to be watching pornography whilst putting out anyone's show, probably best not to do it during his. Mystery surrounds because apparently you can break into this sort of thing but you don't actually have to be in the studio you could do it remotely um right. so yes. lots of times hasn't it on and on television shows as really well. what with uh, well it has a porn has interrupted uh, television broadcasts yes. i have been watching that's true mm. what do i want to know um, is are they going to pay for using the sound effects because they were playing a good five minutes of copyrighted content there. how easy would it be to identify which film <laughs> it came from that's the problem. i don't know but i'm yeah. sure there's someone out there who would enjoy the job uh, yeah, it, 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 the, the question is it a cock up or is it a conspiracy I mean yeah, that's uh, open and shut open and shut case but uh, you know Ollie I guess if there's if there's one radio station that's going to be providing the soundtrack to a, to a porn film then uh, you know jazz FM saxophone right there, yeah. solos and noodling you know yeah. well it's smooth Christmas for me but I mean you know <laughs> each to their own this, <laughs> this is a prank isn't it this is just really a prank do you, well, it's, do you, got, it's got them a lot of attention yeah, yeah, yeah. do you think uh, what chance is it just a big comedy PR stunt and we all fell for it maybe could be it could be yeah. very easy I think the fact that it was actually quite obscene orgasm noises and the fact that it was gay porn and not straight porn suggests We assume. It's hard to tell when it's audio track. Indeed, but it sounded like two men. Uh, It would uh, suggest to me that it just goes that little step further than a a PR stunt probably would. Well, I'll be tuning in next week just to see if it happens again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're going to apologise this Saturday, which will be worth tuning in for, I think. I wonder how they're going to phrase it. It's like that moment on Blue Peter, isn't it, when they apologise for misleading their viewers. Uh, I think that'll be the clip that'll get played everywhere whenever anyone mentions Jazz FM for years. Yes, similar to Blue Peter, but but, but different. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wonder what tune they'll play immediately after the apology. Any thoughts? Uh, in the Mood by Glenn in, Miller. In the Mood, of course, of course. Well, that's uh, more than enough smut for one week. None next week, guaranteed. Well, almost guaranteed. There's more on all of these stories at mediaguardian.co.uk. Finally this week, I caught up with Channel 5's Director of Programmes, Jeff Ford, who was holding court at a Broadcasting Press Guild lunch. Channel 5 is riding high on the back of the second series of Celebrity Big Brother, but a TV channel is not built on one programme alone. That's right, it's also got CSI. We jest, of course, Channel 5 will see the return of Dallas later this year. Excited by that, Ollie? One word answer will do. I'm too young. Too young. (laughs) And has high hopes for its new documentary series, Big Body Squad. I talked to Jeff about Big Brother, Big Bodies, and his big boss, Richard Desmond. Big Brother is, is one of the top five brands in the world today, and TV brands in the world today. And when we had the opportunity to, to have it on five, it was just, it was, yeah, you had to ha- we had to just have it. It was just too good an opportunity to miss. We've proved all the, the you know, critics wrong by, by actually taking it, making it the show that, that we wanted to make, which was a much more of entertainment-based and a lot of fun. Um, in it um, and you know to have people already saying that Celebrity Big Brother this year was the best Celebrity Big Brother ever I think is very high praise indeed and, and I'm pretty pleased myself to ha- have only two under the belt and to be already having the best one which I think is fantastic and that is uh, great for Endemol great for Initial great for the commissioners um, Steve Gowans who worked on it hugely I mean uh, uh, from Channel 5 perspective we're very proud of what, we, what we've achieved over the past 18 months. And you know, owned by Richard Desmond. Give us a, a little inkling into sort of day-to-day life with the, uh, the Daily Express and Daily Star owner. Um, well, the great thing about Richard is he is interested in what we do. He is absolutely interested. He's a viewer, 
and like most viewers, everybody has an opinion, um, and he obviously wants, he lets me know what it is. He wants to be part of the process, which is fantastic to have actually somebody challenging you uh, about what you're doing, asking you are we doing the right thing. Because I think the trouble is in the past, you know, we, Channel 5 maybe didn't, because RTL obviously a German company, and also well, not German, they were from, uh, um, based in Luxembourg, but, um, but didn't, didn't, yeah, it wasn't that day-to-day sort of challenge. And, um, uh, and I think that's what it probably, it probably lacked, because it's like anything, always want, Richard always wants to do better. I do my best, and he knows I do my best, but I want to do better for him, and I want to do better for the channel. So it's a very positive environment, uh, actually, strangely enough. You know, we, we may mention Richard Desmond, everybody has that wry smile. Um, but I found him to be really, really helpful in what I've tried to do um, with the channel. We should ask you to talk about one of your shows you've got coming out. Just pick one from the channel that people might want to look out for in the, in the near future. That's an interesting one because there are so many. I think that the thing that is quite fun, and it's because it's on tonight, let's, let's talk about something on tonight, which now, of course, will probably be on yesterday uh, by the time this podcast gets on. Or, or, or indeed last week. Or, or indeed last week or last month, and who can tell? Uh, I don't know. But, is, is, but it'll be on again. Oh, it will be on, don't worry, it'll be on, a, it'll be on a Wednesday at 8 o'clock for the next uh, six or seven weeks anyway, so at least they'll catch one of them. We come on, Jeff, tell us the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get, well, listen, I've got a microphone in my mouth. I don't know. I can, I can take it. I'm going to be forever. I'll do karaoke next. Um, that's uh, Big Body Squad, which I think is a really interesting show. Again, showing how wonderful uh, a lot of people can be in terms of the carers of people who find themselves to be obese. That is really what the programme's about. But what it does also do is open up the debate about you know, the health service and how can we look after these people. You know, is it a drain? Is it not a drain? And I think that's quite an interesting Thing. So as a, as, a, as a sort of, like by celebrating and looking at the fact that these people who do a great job, it's also opening a debate about people who, with illness uh, as well. So it's fascinating as a, as a documentary in itself, but also from a, from a, debate, uh, from a point of where it can open up and, uh, and, and find home, a home in a different way, I think is a, is, a, is a great example of what we're trying to achieve. Jeff Ford there. And by the way, Big Body Squad launched with 1.6 million viewers on Wednesday. More than enough to see off Channel 4's parenting documentary series, Daddy Daycare. So Jeff and Richard will be pleased. Maggie and Ollie, I want to finish this week by sweeping up a few other TV stories. Now, Rowan Atkinson, Mr Bean himself, weighed into the BBC ageism debate, saying the Bee was right to drop Miriam O'Reilly from Country File. He said the case was an attack on creative free expression. Uh, now, Maggie, what do you think of that? He on his opinion for a year and a half, did he? <laughs> yeah. Well, Rowan is very strange. He is very Mr Beanish in the way he intervenes in public debates. As you say, he's always a bit late and it's always very awkward. And doesn't he's, say a lot. He doesn't say a lot, but he's also somebody who does have this uh, unshakable, extreme belief, really, in the right to freedom of expression and creative freedom. And that's actually what he was sort of plodding into battle over. I mean, I've seen him in action since really he, he backed the uh, campaign for quality broadcasting in, in the late 1980s. And he kind of made some sort of quite useful but sort of strange speeches. And he's also been very uh, absolutely certain that, you know, blasphemy or people should be able to be free to say really almost anything they, they want to within the, the bounds of the law. So this was all part and parcel. I think he's wrong. I mean, one of his examples was, you know, if Pierce Brosnan's too old to be a romantic lead, well, just drop him. And uh, this wasn't really the same 
category as or, or James Bond figure as 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 a, a TV presenter on a show where the audience is 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 pretty much uh, over fifty five. So yeah, and the point um, is that you know male romantic leads go away into their sort of sixties and seventies as we as we saw with James Bond. You indeed. know, whereas uh, Miriam O'Reilly and the other country file presenters go into their forties yeah, and fifties. I, well. I, th- I mean, it's I just think it's all of a piece with Rowan Atkinson, but um, it, I wouldn't particularly get upset about it as a lot of people have I just think well that's his opinion and it arrives like the kind of US cavalry far too late. Ollie what did you make of the uh, the Blackadder's intervention? Um, actually, I, I did think it was quite a convincing argument in the sense that a programme like Country File is a kind of creative construct. It's not just a documentary where they've gone out and filmed things. It's a, it's a, it's a show where they take two people and put them in a field and do some links and they've put them there. You know, it is, it is artificial. Um, and it does seem to me legitimate, uh, to say we want to attract a younger audience, so we're going to change the presenting lineup. Uh, I think that is a legitimate thing to do. But the background of the fact that it is very obvious, and now everyone, including Mark Thompson, agrees that there aren't enough older women on TV, it does seem wrong to replace the very few that you have. And I, I think that's the background to this story. Um, I think, generally speaking, his position of creative freedom to make a show is one that most people would support. But actually, it's very rare that it would ever get to a point of employment discrimination law being used against them, because most people do understand it. And in this case, it probably was unfair. Uh, and, uh, and Maggie, it did get to that point. It go, did go to an employment tribunal. And, and without that, maybe we wouldn't have seen changes on screen, and Mark Thompson wouldn't have, ever, have had this change well, of heart without Miriam O'Reilly. No, it was a game-changing moment. And, I mean, w- there are a lot of people in television who run these channels and run shows who are very furious about about it but it has actually changed things because if you remember she wasn't just discriminated against she was really blocked from doing other work as well so it was the whole of her sort of professional career appearing to go down the plug hole and finally maggie uh, you wrote a piece in the observer about bbc one drama becoming uh, focusing on audiences that are too old which uh, some people might say has been borne out by by call the midwife well, I mean, Sunday wife, night is a very much, a, you know, it's a sort of over 40s, over 50s zone now, isn't it? On BBC well, One? very much so, apart from Sherlock. Um, to some extent, Call the Midwife, because it's such a, a broad appealing and large audience, um, although it does have a large number of people over 55, and of course it skews heavily towards middle-aged women, uh, it does have a significant following of the over 35s. But no, my point was that um, only 10%. Uh, were under 35 for a four-hour period on Sundays in January. They were rescued to some extent by the appeal of Sherlock, which does skew much younger than everything else. But there is this tendency, two things going on really. One, uh, not just adaptations of, of, of classic books like Great Expectations, but a belief that historical drama, upstairs, downstairs, set... 38, 1938, 39, uh, following on from Birdsong, that these are things that, because people like them, we give them more. There is, a, there is an absence of what you might call contemporary drama. There are no uh, House of Cards political-type thrillers to grip people, uh, which I think is a real shame, and I don't see any coming down the track. The second issue is whether the controller of BBC One, uh, Danny Cohen, in his 30s, um, has basically slightly moved back from the position that the BBC had throughout the uh, well for the past 10 years especially when Jana Bennett was director of television uh, in pushing BBC One uh, more to cater across the range as, as a big mass channel for everybody and there is some evidence uh, based partly on what he said at Edinburgh that um, there wasn't any point in fighting the BBC One audience they were largely over 50 and they deserve to have themselves if you like reflected back to them and that was the point I was raising what you find in channel 4 and ITV is that advertisers 
want okay abc1 upmarket older people with lots of money but they also want younger people because they adopt brands and so there's a sort of corrective in the commercial market which doesn't exist of itself in in uh in in a, in a publicly subsidized body but uh, ollie do you think the young people are sort of well served by bbc3 Uh, BBC Three is a conversation for another day I think BBC Three is really pretty poor to be honest most of the time relies a lot on EastEnders and Doctor Who and Family Guy which are not reasons to have a channel but uh, I don't in BBC One terms have a problem with Sunday night sort of being for old people I think that's fine because you know Saturday night basically it's for young people I mean if you take Strictly Come Dancing out of it if you get a block of Total Wipeout and The Voice for example you know that's going to appeal to people who are under 40 Uh, casualty maybe in between isn't it but I mean uh, so I I think it kind of balances out if you zoom out across a week I think BBC One does do a good job of appealing to most people most people in the country will watch something on it and that's what it's there for but what they do is they balance out on on Sunday nights with Top Gear for example so the men are watching Top Gear when it's there at sort of 8 o'clock-ish you know that's sort of that's a sort of little zone Um, I just think it's an interesting question Um, and we all know that the way television works is that someone sees a hit and they all rush off in the same direction and so there has been a sort of Downton Abbey stroke uh, whatever we want to call it now called the midwife effect and uh, it just is something it's worth I I know it's been debated quite widely and so I was actually in the observer trying to bring it out a bit uh, just to see and of course everybody loves call the midwife and so uh, it, it, it you know it, it, it's a debate rather than if you like an, out, an outright uh, critique of BBC One. Well the solution is obviously to get Jenny Agata and Miranda Hart on Top Gear against the stig <laughs> then you're pleasing everyone. <laughs> it's uh, TV gold TV gold well uh, people that is it for this week my thanks to the wonderful Ollie Mann and Thank the you. even more wonderful Maggie Brown for keeping me cosy and warm you can leave your feedback on anything and indeed everything you've heard on the Media Talk blog or our Facebook wall. I'm John Plunkett and Media Talk was produced by Ben Green. After four and a half years on the show, Mr Green is moving on to no doubt smaller and less successful things here at The Guardian. Despite that, we wish him well. I'll be back next week. See you then. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.